Those with a drive to go have an undeniable calling. They are not content to simply have a transformative idea. They want to create and build. They want to wrestle challenges to the ground and bring solutions to scale. They are makers and doers. They are go-getters. Go-Getters features straight-up conversations with leaders on the forefront of change who are taking action to impact our world, just as Lehigh people have done for more than 150 years. Join us as we explore their challenges, their passions, and what makes them go. I'm Joe Buck, Vice President for Development and Alumni Relations at Lehigh University, and welcome to Go-Getters. I'm here today with Dr. Frank Douglas. Frank graduated from Lehigh in 1966 with a, with a degree in chemistry from the Rawson College. After Lehigh, Frank received a PhD in physical chemistry and an MD from Cornell University. He did his residency at Johns Hopkins. Frank remains connected and active at Lehigh. He served on the Dean's Advisory Council for Rawson College, has gotten involved with our new College of Health, and he and his wife, Lynette, established an endowed scholarship and a fund for undergraduate research. In 2019, he received the Costell Denson, class of 56, Distinguished Alumni Award, presented to an individual who has demonstrated leadership in increasing diversity in the American workplace and educational institutions. In 2020, the Lehigh class of 2011 established the Dr. Frank Douglas 66 Endowed Scholarship for the Advancement of Black Excellence in his honor. Frank, thank you for joining me. Thank you, Joe. It's real, a real pleasure for me to, to be with you. And, and uh, I, I am so fascinated by your career and, and really looking forward to, to learning about um, your early life, your industry career, and what you're doing today. So this will be a bit of a walk down memory lane for you. And I know that our audience will really, really appreciate um, uh, the insights that you're about to share. So let me again, thank you for, for, for joining the podcast. Frank, you, you grew up in Guyana, British Guyana. Is that correct? That's correct. Not to be confused with Dutch Guyana or French Guyana. Correct. Or, or with Ghana. Or with Ghana, yes, yes. Uh, and uh, was that um, uh, Georgetown? Is that that's Georgetown, is that the largest? Yeah, Georgetown, and and you grew up in Georgetown, yes. That's correct. So, how did a young man from Georgetown, British Guyana at the time, find his way to Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, in the early 1960s? Very, very interesting story. In fact, I had a wonderful experience last week when my 11-year-old grandson called and told me that uh, he has a class project and he would like to interview me and he wanted to interview me about just before I left for America what was it like in Guyana and how did that affect my life and what decisions did I make and I recounted for him in 1962 uh, it was uh, uh, a, a large general strike uh, in Guyana, and uh, walking home, I saw a crowd of people went over to see what was happening, and there was a group of uh, Afro-Guyanese and uh, Indo-Guyanese who were fighting, and in fact, one man was uh, beaten and thrown into the canal, um, you know, where he died. Uh, and uh, that led me to resolve uh, and I was 19 at the time, 
uh, not to join any of uh, the either of the youth movements. There were uh, there was uh, the People's Progressive Party, which was the party in power at the time. Uh, they had a youth movement. It was a communist uh, leaning party, and uh, People's National Congress, the PNC, also had a youth movement. And at the time, interestingly enough, I was actually the director of the Youth for Christ movement of Guyana. So I decided to really focus on religious activities. And around that time, I was also getting offers of scholarships to go to communist countries, uh, such as Romania, uh, the Republic of East Germany at the time, and Cuba. Mm -hmm. And I declined all. Then one day in 1963, I got a call from the uh, USAA office and uh, I went over and they said, uh, we have good news for you. Uh, we are offering you a Fulbright uh, fellowship uh, to go to America. And uh, the university that is interested in having you is Lehigh University. And uh, I said, Lehigh? And I said, well, you know, I've already finished high school. <laughs> Why am I going to Lehigh? Lehigh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so then they explained to me, no, that's the name of the university. So that's how I ended up in Bethlehem, uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, had had you experienced any, anything that resembled winter up until that point? Was no. this the first snowfall you had seen here yes, in Bethlehem? The first snowfall, and I will never forget it. Yes, it was a lovely snowfall. I was in Price Hall at the time. And, uh, you know, I could see in the morning when I awoke, see the snow falling. And uh, I went to the door and there was snow on the ground and I wasn't sure what to do. You know, does one walk in it? <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> what was there? Are there other uh, memorable uh, references to culture shock that you experienced? Is there is there a, a particular memory that has stuck with you about your initial reactions or upon your arrival into the United States? Yeah, in, in fact, the, it's a very sad memory because I arrived uh, in August 1963, two weeks before Martin Luther King's march in uh, Washington, mm -hmm. and uh, began to experience discrimination myself which uh, I had not really experienced before, and was really quite surprised uh, as I learned, I became, of course, very much interested in what was going on and began to, to talk with uh, people and to read, and was surprised to find the animosity towards uh, black people in America. And worse than that, since I was uh, in the evangelical religion, I began to realize that the same individuals who in Guyana told us that uh, we must love each other and we were all going to heaven, here I was in America and I could not attend some of their churches because I was a black. So that was a, a, a big shock for me. And uh, uh, I, I must say, uh, uh, in fact, my <laughs> grandson asked me, what decision did I make? Uh, when I faced that, and I said the decision was was uh, a simple one, uh, namely I recognized that I was being discriminated against just because of my color. So I had no choice but to really fight and defend uh, uh, people who were being discriminated against, like myself. So I said that basically 
set the tone for the rest of my time in America. That has been a theme for the rest of your, uh, for your time. And, and, and I, I see that through all of your different uh, adventures and, and undertakings. I think we may have to get your grandson to be the host of the podcast next season. He sounds like a, a, a quite uh, intelligent 11-year-old who's coming from my job, which I fully appreciate. I, I want to I wanna, I wanna get to know him. Uh, about Lehigh specifically, I want to talk about Lehigh uh, as, as you being one of the few black students here. But before that, let me ask you just about the American educational system in general. How, you know, a different type of culture shock, perhaps, in terms of the way that the education was delivered, the way that students behaved and interacted. I have to imagine it was different from the system in which you were educated uh, in, in Guyana. Can you, can you reflect on that experience a little bit? Yes, and I will give, and I will give you a, 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 an anecdote of what actually happened. Uh, I, of course, grew up in British Guyana and uh, uh, was uh, headed once I either got a scholarship or enough uh, money to uh, to England. Uh, in fact, I, I had entrance in a number of uh, British universities based on my performance in what we call the A-levels. Uh, however, I had no money. So uh, <laughs> I arrived at uh, Lehigh and uh, had never seen television. So I spent the first two weeks just, uh, you know, uh, going to the cafeteria for meals and sitting in front of the TV uh, and sleeping uh, in my room, which was the first time I had my own room and, in fact, the first time I had a bed that I slept in and never slept in a bed. So about uh, the end of the second week, uh, Jeffrey Stiles, who was the Griffin, uh, came to see me and said, um, uh, I heard you haven't been going to classes. And I said, well, you know, I haven't quite yet decided what I will major in, but I think I'll probably do physics and chemistry and math. And at some time, I'll go down to the bookstore and I'll get some books. And he was... (laughs) (laughs) Not exactly how it works, right? Is that what he said? We don't quite do it that way. (laughs) So the next morning, he said, I'll take you to see the dean. So he took me to Dean Buchanan, who had evidently studied in England. And when he heard the story, he just broke out laughing and he said, okay, I know what's going on. Leave it with me. I'll take care of this. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, you found, uh, you found the right person at Lehigh to help you to navigate. Uh, yeah, no, navigate actually, that he was extremely helpful. Uh, helpful yeah. You know. yeah. <laughs> I, I was going to ask you, uh, how did you find your place at Lehigh as one of the few few black students here. I guess a better question might be, did you find your place at Lehigh as one of the few black students on campus? Yeah, well, when I when I came to Lehigh, there were only two blacks in the freshman class and a total of four blacks in the undergraduate. Uh, There's one uh, young man from the Cameroons, one from South Africa. I was from British Guiana, the still British Guiana at the time, uh-huh. uh, and uh, one Afro-American. So, uh, we both ran track, so we saw each other then. Uh, I actually, in my second year, uh, was basically doing junior level courses, so we didn't really see much uh, of each other then. In fact, I graduated in three years. Uh, so uh, I didn't really have a, a full freshman experience in a real sense uh, because I was halfway between freshman and sophomore in the classes that I was doing. But I did find my, uh, my place at Lehigh 
because uh, the following year, which would have been my second year, uh, I was uh, invited to be a griffin. So I was a griffin. And, uh, uh, and that's an experience I will never forget. Not only the experience of uh, being a, a, a dorm room counselor, but the Griffin Society, and I don't know if they still do that, but at that time there was a, a, a table uh, in the student union where you know, we, uh, we, sat, we, we sat for, for dinner uh, you know, and uh, had so many wonderful conversations. And that's probably my greatest uh, memory of Lehigh. Uh, the second memory of Lehigh actually has to do with the chemistry department. Uh, all of the chemistry professors I had were, uh, were outstanding, but the one, unfortunately, is deceased, uh, was uh, Professor Dane. Uh, it was March of my third year. And he called me into his office. I was actually doing uh, one of his courses, it was a graduate level course. And he called me into his office and he said, tell me about yourself. And no one had ever done that. And I said, what do you mean? He said, no, tell me about you. And so I told him how I grew up in Guyana, et cetera, and how I got to Lehigh. And he said, I've been observing you and um, it seems like you are bored or you are perturbed. So we chatted, and then he said to me, you may not know this, but you actually have enough hours to graduate. And although it is March, if you're interested in going to graduate school, uh, I'll try to see if I can get you some, uh, some, uh, some appointments for, for interviews, uh, which he did. And I went to a number of interviews, uh, returned uh, to see him, uh, he also took me through the process of how one would decide which of these I was admitted to all uh, all of them, and he recommended that I should go to Cornell. I should select Cornell. Cornell, and he gave me the reason why, and he was just absolutely on target, absolutely on target. And so here was a professor that totally unknown to me had been observing me, and recognized what I needed for my own you know, maturation and development at that point in time and took that interest. And that was the first time actually that I'd ever talked with him. You know, I was just in his class as a student. So that's another one of my fond memories. And, and that's, uh, I, I would, will attest that those same types of interactions are happening today. Lehigh is of the size where students can still uh, be observed by faculty and develop those individual relationships. That's, that's, so, uh, that's I can see why that, that is not still there because yeah, that, I can that, see that literally changed my life. For sure. Literally for sure. Yeah. We're going to take a short break and we'll be back to the Go-Getters podcast with Frank Douglas in a moment. How can artificial intelligence be used to combat human trafficking? What will future finance jobs look like? How do algorithms improve efficiency? If you're looking for insight on current hot topics or just love to learn, join a Mountain Talk. In these 30-minute video chats brought to you by Alumni Relations, a Lehigh expert shares new discoveries and perspectives on challenges facing our world today. Listen live or on demand. Visit gocampaign.lehigh.edu engage. Hi. I'm Garrett Linderman, Lehigh Class of 2020, and my voice might be familiar. During my four years at Lehigh, I spoke with thousands of alumni as a caller for the Lehigh Fund. 
Being a Lehigh Liner taught me how important the fund is to supporting the Lehigh experience, especially the financial aid that I depended on. Now that I'm on my way to law school, I am more than ever aware of the value of my degree and the impact alumni can have through the Lehigh Fund. Please visit give.lu slash go-getter to make your gift today. Thank you. Welcome back to the Go-Getters podcast featuring Dr. Frank Douglas. As, uh, as a seasonal allergy sufferer and a daily taker of Allegra D, well, let me publicly good. thank you. You are welcome. <laughs> you, uh, you are one of those uh, faceless heroes of millions of people around the world who, who they should be, should be thanking you by name every day for your, for your contributions. Uh, do, do I have it right? Over 20 drugs in 22 years brought to market that, yes. that, that you were a part of. Yes, is that, yes, is that, yes. I, I, that's astounding, yes, Frank. That's the teams that contributed that, yes. That, 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 that's astounding. How do you, or how did you, drive that kind of productivity and, and progress for drug after drug? What, what, was, the, what was the motivation for, for you at that time? Well, my motivation was actually very simple, and that was finding uh, drugs for uh, unmet needs, namely for patients for whom there were no good treatments. That was my drive. Uh, the other drive I had, and I mentioned to you in 1962, a decision I made, and the decision which I actually made in a real sense is that I didn't want anything to do with politics. Rather, I would like my contribution to do something that helped the health or helped the economy of the individual. So that was my drive. Have you found yourself either in industry, uh, back to the pharmaceutical career, were you able to serve as that type of mentor and leader of teams? What was your leadership style as you were driving groups to create new, new drugs? Uh, there were probably two or three things. Uh, one, uh, I always told teams the science is what is important. And rather than, one thing I was very clear of them, is that compounds and teams had to earn the right to be able to continue their project. So if there were a problem, a hurdle, I wanted the teams to focus on getting over that hurdle. And I had a sunset clause. They had a certain amount of time. And if we could not get over that hurdle, that was the end of the project. They could resurrect it if there was a clear solution for that problem. But they had a time horizon, a fine time horizon. Yeah. Okay, so that was one. The second thing that I did is I rewarded failure. Uh, because in one occasion, I was asked, you know, uh, in fact, I had just taken over as the senior vice president of native research uh, for Sibagaiki. Uh, and one of the, the chemists, very one of the strongest chemists, came to see me and he said, you know, we would like to know how we're going to be evaluated. And I said to him, this is how you will be evaluated. I would like you to use the best science to get us to yay or nay 
before the competition. And I don't care whether the answer is yay or nay, as long as you use the best science to get us an answer in a timely fashion. And I made a point of rewarding teams whose project had failed, particularly if they came forward and said, for this reason, we don't think this project, this project will make it. And I made a point of identifying such teams whom at the end of the year, when we were giving out the rewards, we would reward such a team. Building on what, what you looked for in talent, Frank, what would you say to the Lehigh students listening to this today? From, from your experience, your perspective, what you looked for, what should today's undergraduate students focus on and pay attention to? I give them the, the advice I gave my daughters when they're heading off to college. <laughs> and particularly uh, one of them when she was uh, doing her, her PhD. I said, first of all, there's no such thing as failure. They're either unexpected or unwanted outcomes. If you do the experiment well, and you've worked hard, you've done the experiment well, then the result is the result. And we learn from the result. In fact, it's unexpected and unwanted outcomes that often lead to breakthroughs. So never use the term failure. The second thing I said, it doesn't matter whether you're good at something or not. Work hard at it. There will be courses that you really are struggling with. You work hard at it and do your very best and don't worry about the grade. Just do your very best at it. And the third thing I uh, would tell students today is seek to work in teams. And the more diverse the team, the more innovative you will find that team is, as long as you're open to different ideas and to new ideas. And as a matter of fact, that's one of the things which I, I, I did very, in, in, in some ways, formally. I encourage us to have diverse teams. I was lucky in the sense that I was leading a global organization with scientists in France, in Germany, in several places, centers in the US and in Japan. And so I would construct these global teams. And as I would say to them, when we were discussing a problem, I said, you know, I, I don't care whose idea it is, I only care <laughs> that it's innovative. That's uh, very poignant and very much appreciated and, and uh, so profound for our students today. Thank you. Let, let me shift to what you're working on now. We are in tumultuous times, perhaps not dissimilar from, from the way you felt when you first arrived in the country. And, and I, I'd ask you to talk a little bit about safe haven dialogues and the work that you're doing today. And specifically, what influence did the events of last summer, starting with the murder of George Floyd and the, and the activism that you saw last summer, um, what role did that play in, in the starting of your new venture, Safe Haven Dialogues? Well, you know, it was uh, really sad to watch those uh, eight minutes and 46 seconds of uh, the knee and George Floyd's neck. 
And uh, in some ways, for me, it was sad because I came at the height of the civil rights movement, watched the many, many gains that were made and the progress. And then it seemed like in the last five to 10 years, we have been retreating. And the image of George Floyd, you know, brought back images of the three kids, uh, you know, their church being uh, bombed, uh, uh, bombed in Alabama, and, you know, and the other, you know, Medgar Evers and the like, it brought those images back. And then I began to think of the fact that we talk a lot about diversity, we talk a lot about inclusion, we talk a lot about equity. And as I thought back in my career and the things that I experienced and witnessed, two things struck me. One is that without equity, there can be no inclusion, no diversity. And in fact, I don't speak about DEI, I speak about EID, which is AID. And if you know German, it actually means oath. And for the Muslims, the end of Ramadan, the feast is called Aid al-Fatir. <laughs> so it has that meaning of an oath, a promise, and, and, and a feast. But if the general uh, population of a, a university, uh, an organization, if people in it generally don't feel that they're being treated equitably, they don't have the capacity okay, to deal with inclusion of others and diversity. So that's the one thing that struck me. So the order matters for you, if I hear you correctly. Yes, you, you, the order you, you, matters. Yeah. And then the second thing that struck me is that there are all of these wonderful programs, which I say deal with awareness, okay, these DEI programs. But as I thought back on the experiences that I've had, and, and I'm looking at the image of the knee on George Floyd's neck. George Floyd is an individual suffering pain. And we often lose the individual. And we are puzzled that we have these great programs uh, and there's still individuals, you know, who say I'm still feeling discriminated against and not being heard. So the whole purpose of safe haven dialogues is to focus on the individual, to give that individual an opportunity to be heard, namely to come to a panel and describe their experience, describe their burden. We have developed a format uh, which we coach them in how to present their case in that format. But it starts with what is the outcome you're looking for? It also talks about what's the problem and what's your environment like that you're dealing with. And then we go into, can you reframe the problem? Mm -hmm. Now, why is that important? Yeah, if I may. When I was at Xerox, as I mentioned to you, I could not get a meaningful project. And the new senior vice president, Dr. Myron Trivus, to Xerox, he'd been there less than a year, he had decided that he wanted to have blacks. There was only one black at the time, 
uh, at Xerox, black scientist. So he hired three of us that year. And we were all having problems. And my manager clearly, in my view, was racist. In fact, he said a couple of things, it was clear. And at one occasion, I was so horrified, I ran down to Dr. Travis's office and I told him what had happened. And I said, my manager's discriminating against me. Years later, when I reflected on it, I realized I failed to recognize something. One, Myron Tribus had brought us in. It meant that our success was as important to him as it was to us. And had I mm. gone to him and framed the problem differently, had I gone and said, Dr. Tribus, you know, I know you brought us in to be successful. I am having a difficulty finding a meaningful project. Would you help my boss find me a project that would help me display the skills I learned at Cornell? I might still have been at Xerox. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but reframing the, I, I still was, you know, discrimination was there, the pain of that was still there. But the truth of the matter is, I wanted to be successful at Xerox. And I totally yeah. lost that. And so a big part of what Safe Haven Dialogues is intended to do is to take you know, individuals, give them an opportunity to be heard. Because many times individuals, yeah. they're not being heard, but end up with, can we reframe the problem and find other solutions? So hopefully then to empower that individual to return to their workplace and have the dialogue with or without their assistance, have the dialogue with their supervisor, uh, and uh, also we hope that organizations will become members and send problem cases before they get way out of hand, you know, is to send them to uh, Safe Haven Dialogues for this experience. So we are now just beginning to market uh, the, the idea. It sounds to me like that experience at Xerox is the realization of something I heard you say at Lehigh when you accepted the Distinguished Alumni Award, you talked about not carrying the baggage of others. And it sounds to me like, you know, not carrying the baggage of your manager into the VP's office is something that ex post you now have come to come to live by. Is that is that a fair representation of what you mean when you when you when you talk about not carrying uh, other people's baggage. Yes, no, it is. In fact, it was a real. It's interesting because one of uh, one of my my, my colleagues, a uh, 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 Lehigh alum, and we've become great friends. Uh, his name is uh, is, is Reggie. Um, there was a a workshop, and I was on a panel. He was in the audience, and he asked the question, and he said, "Why is it that we black people always have to bear the burden, always have to find the solutions?" And I said, "You're not going to like my answer." I said, it's because we have the burden. <laughs> and the other individual can't solve that because they don't have the burden. They have not experienced it. So we right. have no choice but to recognize the burden that we have and to deal with that and not to take on other burdens. Yep. Yep. Uh, great, uh, great point. I still remember that speech and, and uh, we referenced that video here at the I quite often. In in 2019, um, Frank published his memoir, uh, Defining Moments of a Free Man from a Black Stream, which reflects on his life and career. 
I would encourage everyone to go to Frank's website and get a copy of the book. It is uh, it is an excellent read. I won't give the book away, but you will read about Frank signing people up for food stamps, delivering babies, trying to be a student, trying to uh, figure out how to navigate the the cold winters uh, in Ithaca. So um, it is uh, it is a fascinating uh, a fascinating read. Um, if if I, I am struck by something in the front jacket of the book, Frank, it says in quotes, um, talking about the book and, and you about how he controlled his own future through grit, yes. hard work, and the road less traveled. Grit is a is a word often used to describe Lehigh students. Mm-hmm. What what does the word grit mean to you? What grit means to me is having an ideal and pursuing it and not giving it up uh, easily, not going with every way the wind blows, but making whatever the sacrifice is for that value and that ideal. And that's what grit means to me. And in in reading the book, I'm struck to ask you this question, and I won't lead the I won't lead the witness to the answer all of the above. But I'm so curious when you think about yourself, when you look in the mirror, who's looking back? Is it a teacher? Is it a chemist? Is it a businessman? Is it a doctor? Is it a revolutionary? Is it a mentor? Who is Frank Douglas? You know, when I <laughs> when I was in graduate school, one of my uh, classmates Don Fredrickson, we used to say and promise ourselves we were going to be the first professors to teach a good physical chemistry course. And uh, I always saw myself, as I said, going to medical school became an accident. It was an accident, right? Not became an accident, it was an accident. It turned out to be possible. It did not become an accident. It was an accident. Thank, thankfully, that's right. There was no accident involved. There was no accident, no accident involved. <laughs> um, when I see myself, I think more of myself as a teacher, but basically as, as someone who wants to, to contribute. I see myself as a, as a contributor, whether it is at the bedside as a doctor, whether it is at the lab, whether it is leading uh, scientists, whether it is in the boardroom trying to solve you know, uh, problems. I'm always, in fact, you will see in the book, there is a line I became famous for when I was in Frankfurt, and there were lots of uh, pro- uh, problems there, uh, <laughs> power struggles and the like. Uh, and I used to, to, I had a slide when I was making a presentation which said, focus more on what we contribute and less on what we control. Uh, and that is something that has always been very important to me. People used to be surprised that I would give up things. When I was at the uh, Sibagaygi, I gave away a department and I remember one of my colleagues came to me and said, that's your power base. And I said, no, Harold can actually run that department better than I can. And as a matter of fact, it is a bit of a distraction. As long as I am a preferred customer and I'm getting the services for for my scientists, I am fine because it allows me to focus more on the things in which we can contribute. So that's basically how I see myself and uh, everything I've done. It's always been 
what am I contributing? How am I helping the teams to contribute? Yes. And you've contributed so much to to Lehigh. You you and Lynette established an undergraduate research fund and an endowed scholarship. Uh, what what example are you trying to set, or what example are you two trying to set by giving back to Lehigh? Just that, give back to Lehigh, and this uh, a, a, a conversation I have with a number of the black uh, alumni, and I say, even if it's just fifty dollars, okay, give back because that builds and it will enable. We cannot complain. <laughs> that we don't have enough, you know, minority students, students of color, etc., And we're not doing something financially to enable that to happen. So, so, so we have to stop the complaints. And, and recently, as, as I referenced in the intro, I, I, I would like you to share how you felt when you heard from the class of 2011 that they were going to establish a scholarship in your honor at Lehigh to support black excellence in, in, in the form of scholarship? I, first of all, I, I was quite surprised and, and really quite humbled. And I had the opportunity to, to have a, a Zoom call uh, with the students who did, and I, you know, and I thank them. Um, it, it's an incredible experience because this is the class of 2011. I do not know these students. I've never interacted with them. Uh, and, uh, you know, the fact that they looked at uh, a number of uh, black alumni uh, from Lehigh and uh, selected May as the person who, in whose honor they wanted to give this gift. A fascinating thing happened. I was set to do a brief video, thank you video, uh, and it happened on January 6th. And just a few minutes before the video started, I was getting prepared. Across my phone came that the, uh, the Capitol building was being invaded. So I jumped up, went to the TV. And of course, I sent a note saying, you know, unfortunately, I can't do this video. And so we, we rescheduled. And I went to bed, you know, very sad. But the morning when I had to give the rescheduled video, I awoke and what I thought about is here are Lehigh students whose response to George Floyd and systemic racism is to give opportunities to black students to experience the dream of America. And that buoyed me. I felt so much better. So, you know, my being named for this scholarship uh, took on even greater significance uh, than, you know, being humbled by being chosen. Uh, in a sense, uh, it revitalized my energy and faith in the dream of America. Uh, to see these students whom I had never met, didn't know, you know, many, many <laughs> generations <laughs> behind me. <laughs> well, thank you. It is a deserving honor to you and, and to the listeners. Uh, if you wanted to learn more about 
the class of 2011 scholarship in in honor of of uh, Dr. Frank Douglas to support Black Excellence at Lehigh. We will make sure that the the notes and and the link and access to that is available uh, around the around the podcast posting. So we will make sure that folks can find that. Um, Frank, when you are not giving of yourself to the world, what do you and Lynette do for fun? You know, our fun has been the grandkids, yeah. uh, and particularly for, for, for Lynette, to my oldest grandson, whom I mentioned earlier. The one who's coming from my job. That's yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> he is. <laughs> And uh, he was a preemie, um, 24 uh, weeks, uh, spent uh, 11 weeks in the, uh, the pediatric intensive care unit. And, and it's just a wonderful story. The, this, uh, uh, he's an unusually gifted uh, kid, rather age three, um, you know, was, uh, I mean, just an unusually gifted kid. And, and to see the, the miracle of science, there's a 24 week old, you know, um, delivery one surviving and then doing as well. Uh, but this was our first grandson and she basically, you know, because my daughter and the son-in-law, they had no idea how you take care of such a kid. And I, Lynette, as you know, is a nurse. So we had them, you know, basically move to New Jersey, etc. So the, the grandkids, we now have uh, five and uh, uh, that's our joy. I've learned that you're an avid chess player. Have you been able to play chess through the yes. pandemic? Yes, and I play with my, my grandson, who is now, who is now much better than yeah. I as an 11-year-old. Uh, in fact, the, 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 the younger of the two boys also, also plays, uh, who's also very good. But the 11-year-old, he is much better. Uh, than I am. In fact, I said, you know, you're going to have to teach Pappy. <laughs> Frank, this has been this has been wonderful. I have one more question for you that that I like to ask um, folks with, for whom I'm interested in, and it's a bit of an existential question. So I hope that you'll entertain me. Uh, it's a simple question, but it is, what do you know for sure? Nothing. Nothing. Simple yet profound. And that is um, so much of, 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 of you, Frank. And I want to say thank you so much again for what you've done for, uh, for Lehigh, for mankind, for our country, and, and the list uh, uh, the list could go on and on. I, I really, you, a, a true, uh, a true gem, a, a true proud son of Lehigh, and and I can't thank you enough for the the impact that you have made on the lives of so many young people. And I know you'll continue to make on the lives of young people at Lehigh and and at Cornell and all the other places that you're involved with. I wish you nothing but the best of luck with uh, with with your new venture, Safe Haven Dialogues. Uh, again, do you want to tell folks where they can find out more? Uh, I know you have a website, and I'll let you yes. promote it. Yeah, we do have a website. It's uh, www.safehavendialogues.com. Safehavendialogues.com. I encourage everyone to, to, to head there, read the book, and look for more information from Lehigh about the, the Class of 2011 scholarship. Um, ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Frank Douglas. Frank, on behalf of Lehigh, 
Thank you. Well, thank you, Joe. It's been it's been a real pleasure, and I really did, did enjoy this interview. Thank you very much. Hi, I'm Brittany Bartlett, and I'm Shri Devi Rao. Brittany and I are both 2011 graduates. Recent events in our country drove home to us the need to take action to help promote equality, which sparked the creation of the Frank Douglas Scholarship Fund for the Advancement of Black Excellence. Racial injustice and systemic inequality have been persistent in this country since its inception and manifest themselves in different ways. Access to higher education is among those ways, and unfortunately, Lehigh University has not been immune to this. Only in 1956 did the first member of the Black community graduate from Lehigh. That's only 65 years ago. And today, a mere 4% of Lehigh's population is Black, while 13.4% of the U.S. population is Black. Therefore, members of the class of 2011 find it imperative to join the conversation to promote equality and inclusivity and address its shortcomings. As a result, we developed, with the significant help of an anonymous donor, an endowment that will continue to increase opportunities for Black and or African Americans for generations to come. We chose to name this endowment after Dr. Douglas, as we feel he embodies excellence in every way. He was only able to obtain the funds needed to come to America and attend Lehigh University through a scholarship. Imagine where healthcare would be without Dr. Douglas. We need to do our part to ensure the broader community can receive a Lehigh education. Thank you to our guest, Dr. Frank Douglas. Special thanks to sound engineer, James Plotkin, co-producers, Aaron Firestone and Janet Norwood, and the Lehigh University Office of Development and Alumni Relations. Go inside the episode at lehigh.edu slash go-getters to learn more about Dr. Frank Douglas. Don't forget to subscribe to Go-Getters on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or your podcast app of choice. And take a moment to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts so other listeners can find us.